I speak to you in the name of the one God who is lover, beloved, and love overflowing. Please be seated. I chose the glorious St. Joseph as my master and advocate and commended myself earnestly to him. When Christ walked this earth, Joseph was his guardian. As a boy, Jesus called him father and obeyed his commands. It seems to me that Christ wants us to know that in heaven he still does everything Joseph asks. I wish I could persuade everyone to be devoted to this glorious saint, for I have great experience of the blessings that come through him from God. I have never known anyone to be truly devoted to him and render him particular services who did not notably advance in virtue, for he gives very real help to souls who commend themselves to him. For some years now, I think, I have made some request of him every year on his festival and I have always had it granted. If my petition is in any way ill-directed, he directs it aright for my greater good. I only beg, for the love of God, that anyone who does not believe me will put what I say to the test, and they will see by experience what great advantages come from commending themselves to this glorious patriarch and having devotion to him. Those who practice prayer should have a special affection for him always. If anyone cannot find a master to teach them how to pray, let them take this glorious saint as their master, and they will not go astray. St. Teresa of Avila in her autobiography. Those who practice prayer should have a special affection for him always. St. Joseph has been present in a particular way in my own life of prayer for the past eight years or so, after he showed up one day while I was in the ethnic aisle of the grocery store. Somewhere near the Goya products, there were all of those tall, votive candles dedicated to different saints. And typically my eye would have gone to Our Lady of Guadalupe or some other image of Mary, but this day it didn't. Instead, it went straight to Joseph, to this lone yellow candle bearing his image, San Jose. I didn't think much of it at first, but I kept being drawn back inexplicably to that candle. And before I could get out of the aisle, it had placed itself in my shopping cart. (laughs) It didn't take long for me to realize what was going on, because this was not long after my dad died. I began to realize that I felt him, my dad, and whatever aura it is that surrounds St. Joseph. I imagine the two of them were a lot alike. Good-hearted, simple, quiet men who worked hard and had calloused hands. And I realized that I needed Joseph and my dad with me in my prayer. I needed their warm-heartedness and tender, quiet support. I bought the candle and lit it every day beside a picture of my dad when I prayed. And I still have the empty votive glass sitting in my office to this day. So with my love of Joseph, I was a little annoyed when I first looked at the Eucharistic readings appointed for today. We're given a gospel text in which he is not even named. We're simply told that 
his, Jesus' parents, following the Passover festival, discovered after a day's journey that the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And when they finally find him at the temple, it's Mary, not Joseph, who speaks. His mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? And he submits to his parents, and we're told he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. Hold on, what's going on here? This text is all about Mary and Jesus. Joseph is unnamed, does not speak. He's simply quietly, actually silently in the background. And then it hit me. Oh, this is the perfect text. This is what Joseph would want. This is who Joseph is. It's not about him, and he knows it. And that's exactly where his saintliness lies. Joseph never once speaks in the Gospels. In Matthew's account of the Annunciation, which focuses on Joseph, an angel tells him in a dream to not be afraid to take Mary as his wife. And the text says, when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded him with not a word in response. He just quietly, humbly surrenders to God's will and plan for his life. In the parallel texts in Luke, in which Mary discovers her role in the unfolding drama, she engages the angel. She questions before consenting. How can this be? She sings the Magnificat with Elizabeth. She is active and vocal and center stage. But not Joseph. He recognizes it's not about him. This story is going to be all about Mary and Jesus, and his job is to make possible their work, their role in the story of salvation. Sometimes in our journeys, we're asked to be Mary. We're called to question and to sing and to stand out in front. But sometimes, maybe more often, our work is to be like Joseph, to quietly nod to accept the role being asked of us, and to step into the background. To be that unassuming tent pole that holds open the space in which the drama unfolds without taking any credit for ourselves. Every one of us has been supported in this way at some point by a Joseph, who may have been so unassuming that to this day we don't know the quiet prayer and support they gave us from behind the scenes. In Matthew's Gospel, Joseph is called a righteous man, her husband Joseph being a righteous man, Matthew says. The Hebrew word here behind the Greek text is tzaddik, a just or a righteous one. And this is not a word used lightly in Scripture. It doesn't mean he was a good guy. It means he stood in an altogether staggering order of holiness, as in Noah was a righteous man, a tzaddik, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. This is the level of holiness being given to St. Joseph. And an understanding of the tzaddikim, or the righteous ones, develops in the Jewish mystical tradition that says at any given time, there are always 36 righteous souls in the world for whom God holds the world in existence. And it's their hidden prayer and humility that keeps the world turning. They're often called the Lamed Vavniks, 
the 36. And it said that they're so humble that they have no idea they are one of the 36. And they would never believe it if you told them. So they remain essentially hidden saints. Tzvi Elimelech, Spira of Dinov, a famous Hasidic rabbi from Poland, wrote that in every generation there are great righteous people who could perform wondrous acts, but the generation is not deserving of that. So the stature of the righteous people is hidden, and they are not known to the public. Sometimes they are wood choppers or water drawers, or perhaps carpenters from Nazareth. Of this hidden vocation carried so beautifully by St. Joseph, Jacques Benigne Boissuet writes, Among the different vocations, I notice two in the scriptures which seem directly opposed to each other. The first is that of the apostles. The second, that of St. Joseph. Jesus was revealed to the apostles that they might announce him throughout the world. He was revealed to St. Joseph, who was to remain silent and keep him hidden. The apostles are lights to make the world see Jesus. Joseph is a veil to cover him. The God who makes the apostles glorious with the glory of preaching glorifies Joseph by the humility of silence. I think this is why St. Teresa so rightly connects Joseph with the life of prayer, sees him as a master of the inner life. Those who practice prayer should have a special affection for him always. If anyone cannot find a master to teach them how to pray, let them take this glorious saint as their master. Joseph's quiet, humble, and absolute surrender to the divine will not only gives us an insight into the life of prayer, but I believe also invites us to read Matthew's account of the angel's message to him in a way that differs from the one we're most accustomed to. Matthew tells us that before Mary and Joseph lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, a Zadok, and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. So we usually make the assumption here that Joseph plans to dissolve their betrothal because he assumes the child is illegitimate. But there's another reading of these verses that I think is more in keeping with the spirit of Joseph the Zadok. So again, the text says, Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew's account is told from Joseph's perspective. So who found Mary to be with child from the Holy Spirit? Joseph. Not, he found her to be with child and had no idea where the child came from. He found her to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And so he believes the story from the beginning, that she, his betrothed, has become the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, the new Ark of the Covenant. He never has any doubt. And in his humility, he accepts that God has other plans for her, far beyond a life in the home of a carpenter in Nazareth. Who's he to have the Ark of the Covenant reside in his humble dwelling? And so he's willing to quietly step out of the story, realizing that God has bigger plans for Mary. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
And this is usually translated with a period or a comma at this point, followed by, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The meaning being something like, don't be afraid to take her as your wife because the child isn't illegitimate after all. And so this would then be information Joseph is receiving for the first time. But we've already been told that he discovered she was with child from the Holy Spirit. And there is no period or comma in the text, which just as accurately can be translated from the Greek as, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because or on account of the fact that the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The implication being that Joseph isn't afraid to take the child into his home because he thinks it's someone else's, but because he knows it is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And who is he to take such holiness into his home? His fear is the fear of God, his awe in the face of this tremendous mystery. And the angel says, do not be afraid. You and your humility and hiddenness are in fact the very one to carry this task. Whether this is an accurate reading of the text or not, I don't know. But I love the Joseph who emerges in this reading. His humility and surrender become even more consistent throughout the text. And I also love the assurance that, yes, God does want to dwell in a humble carpenter's home in Nazareth. That the story isn't moving off to bigger and better things. How are these words assurance for each of us this morning? That whether seen or unseen, we are all given a vital, crucial role in the unfolding drama of God's story. And how might we learn from Joseph the Tzaddik, the hidden humble one, in his school of prayer? Because those who practice prayer should have a special affection for him always. How might we cultivate our own inner Joseph, our hidden life with God? May we each feel Joseph's presence today and always, his prayer and his intercession, which never cease. May we be grateful for the Josephs who have quietly supported us along the way. You might call one of them today. May we not fear being unseen ourselves, unknown and hidden ourselves. And may we not be afraid to welcome the divine into our humble dwellings, knowing that we with Joseph, are hidden with Christ in God. Amen.